pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome to the Moscone Center. This is the final One Life Left versus Gama Sutra from 2013. Good afternoon and welcome to our last bit of GDC coverage. This is One Life Left. I'm Steve Curran. I'm Anne Scantlebury. And who is our guest presenter today? It is I, yet again, uh, Jen Frank. Hello, Jen. Well done for making it today. Oh, uh, a pleasure to be here. We have some spectacular guests today. Would you like to introduce yourself, Tom, first? Tom first. No, no. Tom, Tom Biscayle, yeah, uh, the game attorney. Also, John Walker. Hello. Uh, representing RPS today. That's right. Let's begin with you, Tom. Can you explain to our listeners what, what it is you do and what brings you to GDC? Um, I'm, an, I've, I'm an attorney, a U.S. attorney. I work exclusively with uh, the creators of video games uh, as opposed to the people who sell them. I, I, that may be, take a little explaining, but... Uh, the studios create the games, and generally, the, traditionally, they were sold through publishers. Now, a lot of times, the, the developers sell themselves. So, I handle their transactional work and uh, defend their their intellectual property rights uh, from stealing, and uh, generally give them business counseling. And I'm pretty much deeply or completely embedded in the industry. It's all I do. Uh, does it ever go beyond business counseling and just become counseling? <laughs> sure. You mean like my client who's who's going who's going through a divorce and yeah, uh, the, yeah it just, oh yeah just sure. turns up and it's like oh okay sure the, I mean the game's fine but everything else in life is rubbish uh, and you then have to help them through that as well. I try. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did. Five hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. No, no, it's uh, I don't charge for that part. <laughs> uh, but yes, it is five hundred dollars an hour. And what have you been doing at GDC? I can't remember. <laughs> you know, GDC is, you know, it's a one week a year where we all come together. I, I've seen, I've been coming here for 15 years or so. And so it's, for me, it's it's never really been about, you know, handing out business cards and saying, hi, nice to meet you. I, I just come here to meet my friends. I came here to make friends and now i got a lot of friends. <laughs> and we sit up all night and, and I, I sit up all night and drink scotch or rum or something and and, and talk weird stuff and every year some more people come into the group and it just rolls over and so it's uh, 
for me, it's just a sort of a, a week long. Actually, I have more. I, I was re- realizing this today. I have more meetings on behalf of my clients with other people than I actually do with clients or soliciting new clients. Uh, but my prominence in the industry is to the point now where I, you know, I don't, I don't chase. I just, I'm, I'm very bad with like, I get business cards and I lose them. I was packing to come here and I found a stack of cards from last year in my briefcases. You know, it sounds but, like you need to operate a sort of one-in, one-out policy on friendships from here in. No, 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 no. There's, there's plenty of room in the tent. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. I'm not sure about you. Her for sure. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> Tom, can you tell us about some of the challenges unique to representing uh, video games in your field? Well, I, I think it's basically representing the creative side. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of passion by these people. I mean, that's, that's what drew me to it. I mean, I, I, I got in this industry because I was playing video games. It was the first time I came to GDC in, in the late 90s, I went... Uh, I didn't tell people I was a lawyer. I was really ashamed because I'm thinking these people, they take these visions they have in their imagination and they turn them into these things that we can get inside of and play. And I'm st- Actually, I'm still kind of blown away by that. Uh, but also, as often happens with artistic people with talent... I look at them as sort of heroes who who's, who deserve the benef- benefits of the fruits of their genius, and a lot of people in the food chain look at them as lunch. So I think the conflict is, you know, and I think this happens, in, and it happened in the music industry for years until the artists got to the point where they could demand the respect that they deserve and the commercial compensation they deserve. Happened in films, and this, we're sort of in a combination of the old studio system in Hollywood and the, and the 50s or 60s in the music industry in terms of the, the, the lack of respect for talent. So if like, you find a talented studio and somebody wants to turn them into starving employees, uh, and I tend to push back against that constantly, uh, both in the distribution channel and in the one-to-one deals. So say, uh, for example, uh, our team was working on a game, maybe in a unique genre, a genre that we'd created and we were worried about other people stealing. Maybe we've talked about this game, maybe it's to do with hugging, on the radio show for five episodes what would you recommend how would you recommend we protect our IP it's probably too late by then oh. um, this you, is always have you been talking about your game in front of people without well, you know we've had some fantastic guests on and we just basically wanted to steal their ideas yeah, and yeah. put them well, in our we game were, in a we nice way <laughs> crowdsourcing a game design very how, clever how does how does uh Crowdsourcing. How do you protect uh, intellectual property and crowdsource at the same time, though? That never struck me. Well, here, here's the thing. Let me explain. Please. Um, if you've got a great idea for a game, that's wonderful. You can dream about it. But the, pr- the proof is actually in the production of the product. And the ideas can't be protected. Mm. So, like, I, got a, I have a great idea for a game. I actually drew out a design doc and everything. It's sort of a game based on ballroom dancing. I've had this for years. From a buddy of mine was a ballroom dancer, and we, we got together, and we, he knew all the people in the industry and all the stars, and not the stars on TV, but the, the actual people who do this. And uh, we came up with this design, and we documented it out, and, uh, and then we thought, well, we've got this great thing, you know? And, but we don't want to talk to anybody about it because they'll steal. Well, the reality is, unless you're under an NDA and you haven't ever told anybody the idea, NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Did that help? Thank you. I got yeah. that. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't... You're, you're stuck. I mean, uh, and even when you produce a game, at least under U.S. law, and I, I, I will completely admit I have no idea what the law is like in the U.K., but I suspect, since our law is based on U.K. law, it's probably fairly similar. 
um, that uh, you can't protect the idea. Okay, uh, you can't protect the rules. You can't com- you can't protect specific elements of the game as expressed that are required to be implemented because of the rules. If that makes sense. But you can protect what it looks like. You can protect the names through trademark. You can protect the, the, the actual images through copyright. But, I mean, I, I did a panel on this with two guys who were hit with uh, heavy cloning suits. And, I mean, cloning situations, one by a big, giant company and one by a... Uh, actually, both by big, giant companies. I got another client who has people all over the world stealing his game. But it's a real struggle. I mean, especially because, to me, like you said, this is a... You know, you have this unique breakthrough sort of idea in... Imagine that. Imagine you've been doing this for 15 years. Imagine this is a a, a design problem that you've been thinking about for 10. You finally work it out. You put your game out there. And then uh, uh, a month and a half later, there's 15 copies. Um, Um, It's heartbreaking. About that. Um, Tom, uh, is there an easiest type of game to clone? Is there is there one type of game I could I could steal more competently than another type? I'm, if you can't hear this, I'm just staring at her. <laughs> <laughs> you you want me to explain to you which games you should steal? That, that, that was the question, wasn't it? Sort of. Oh, hypothetically, sort of. yeah. Uh, no, actually, uh, the 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 most uh, the most stolen game I have right now and I don't call them clones uh, these people are thieves so I'll just call them that um, is uh, a little gay iPhone game called uh, Flow Free okay and it's a simple puzzle game you connect the dots you start with a 5 by 5 square with like 4 or 5 different colored dots and you have to draw lines through a grid to connect them if that it's makes addictive sense. Yeah, yeah you played it yeah. absolutely yeah. Uh, last time I checked on the, on the iTunes store there were 20 different clones of that game wow and th- not only that and I did this by searching for the word flow, which means not only did they steal the game, they replicated the tile, which is a little little brandy thing that comes up in the store, mm. and and they even used the name one way or another. So uh, that is incredible. Yeah, and and you know I really get a lot of satisfaction, like if I'm doing a transactional deal between you know a developer and a distribution partner or a publisher, because I know that by the time that deal's done, they're going to be getting more out of their out of that relationship financially. Then, then I cost them. So it's kind of nice. You know, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm earning my money and I'm doing it in a positive way. With these clones, all I'm doing is just beating off these, these wolves. And, you know, if you're being attacked by a wolf and somebody comes and beats the wolf, you're grateful. But all I do is kill a wolf. You know, I, I don't feel like I really added anything. And so it's, it's much less satisfying, which is really frustrating. John Walker, uh, you strike me as a very moral writer. Thank you. you. You like to take a stand on issues, don't you? RPS is often often at the forefront of various um, things in the games industry. You feel are wrong and you lead campaigns. I, I, I guess. I just get cross about something mm-hmm. and I'm fortunate to have a platform to, to do that on, I guess. How, how moral do you think the games industry is? Wow, what a crazy question. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say I am here mostly to plug my ballroom dancing hugging game. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, we have been working on this idea for four days. Good heavens. <laughs> I've been working on it for five. Um, I don't know. I, think that's a, I don't think that's a question I can answer. I think there's a lot of immorality and there's a There'll lot of There'll be many morality. more questions that are crazy and impossible to answer to come, John, so get used to it. Okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. No, I think there's, there's morality and immorality all over, I think. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, and I think I think it's interesting what you're saying. I'm wondering what I'm thinking is where's the dev- where's the line between copying and adapting? And if I if I look at gaming, I can trace all games back to an original point. So I agree. Like, if someone's cloning and they put the um, the logo on the the same logo and they use the same name, yeah, they're they're trying to take uh, they're trying to kind of steal steal clicks away. But what about you know the next great match three game? Does that person should they have not done another match three game? Should they? You know, it's funny because these the people that I my clients, uh, they're really dedicated to the creative process and they want people to iterate their games. They want somebody to take the gameplay that they came up with and make it better. When 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 you know this is a, a Daniel a Daniel Cook from Spry Fox, he's mm-hmm. brilliant. He's a freaking genius, and. He so he did. It's a match three game, right? But it's cumulative, and then the pieces that's called um, t- uh, triple town. So you match three things, they become something. And you can match those three things, they become something else. You and it just grows on and on and on. And and when somebody else comes up, takes that gameplay, that that unique twist on, on match three gameplay, and makes a better thing, this guy's thrilled. He's right. excited about it. It's it makes him feel like he's made a bigger contribution because he's 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 helped more people imagine more things but when somebody you know in this particular case uh, uh, Six Waves uh, 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 sort of a social game publisher that, that I think in that level the big social game companies are probably the least moral in terms of this issue yeah I can see uh, that you know fast to follow you know, uh, they, see a, they see something do well they, they make something that's a lot like it um, uh, anyway uh, they were in negotiations with these people they'd given them a pre-release copy of the game they were under a non-disclosure agreement uh, and and they took their they took a game that was being that was a, at that point released on, on uh, as a Facebook game and made an iOS app and they changed the, they changed the name of it <laughs> they changed it from Triple Town to Yeti Town oh obviously that's different and they, but they replaced all the little elements of the game with different pictures but everything else I mean including the price of stuff in the store the number of items available by each by each elemental type I mean it's, it was. You know, and I can't say we won because we settled it amicably with no admission of liability. But they, but I can't say that they were they they, they agreed to give us the Yeti Town and all the source code and everything else. We had uh, Dan Cook on the radio show yesterday. Yeah, well, you know Dan. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing, isn't he? We're not going to copy any of his ideas now. Oh no! Oh no! No <laughs> promise. <laughs> like absolutely, it's well, all. And, and he's the nice one. You should talk to David Ettery sometimes. He, he's a guy. Who says, yeah, no. If somebody messes me, I'll punch him in the face. <laughs>
you're listening to One Life Left, broadcasting live from GDC. This is our final show of six. How's it going, Anne? I think it's going okay, considering how terrible we were all feeling this morning. And I think everybody here was feeling a little worse for wear. But that's because we've been enjoying ourselves so much. And what was the most enjoyable experience you had yesterday? So we went to Arcade. Uh-oh. And uh, we went in your tent. Uh-oh. And had a lovely, lovely time. I came out. And Steve was like, what What should you just do? Obviously, the first thing we should do is explain who this extra voice is on the radio. Of course. Hello. Hey, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, Hey, guys. Uh, I am Doug Wilson. I uh, work for a small indie game studio called Digo de Fabrique, uh, and I'm based in New York these days. And you've only got a very, very, very short amount of time with us yeah. right now, so we better make every question count. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, should, we, should we talk about this weird, no, no, no. T- weird tent thing? Or? Absolutely. Let's so definitely do that. So I, I, I'm actually kind of mixed on the thing. Um, I think, so we set up this weird, um, I've been working on this procedural music engine for this adventure game we're working on called Mutacione, and I'm really interested in music, and um, so it's just almost, um, you ever listen to Brian Eno's Music for Airports? So it's super inspired by that. It's almost like a create-your-own-music-for-airports thing, engine. Um, and But it's going to be in the context of this uh, keyboard and mouse adventure game. Uh, but then, you know, you know, Baby Castles and Sarah Brin, who's a really cool game art curator based in L.A., um, together with some of the folks at SMOMA were like, do you want to show a piece? And I said, oh, my God, yes. But um, you need something relaxing, uh, and cooperative, and I go, oh no, all my games are like really physical and kind of violent and competitive. But then I was like, well, wait, I have this procedural music engine, but I have to repurpose it somehow. So I, you know, I we built this crazy tent, this almost this like cave, this blanket fortress cave, and hung twelve move controllers um, so that you had this kind of like interactive light vines that you could hit and trigger different parts of the music soundscape. I. I was really happy with the ambience, um, the interaction design of like making it clear how things worked was all like super. It was the whole exhibit was put together um, last minute. I mean, which is great and fun, but it, it, my piece needed some more um, iteration. But it was fun. It was a good experiment. Well, so I I disagree. Really? Because okay. Um, we were told to stay in your tent for between twenty and forty five. Yeah, that minutes. was that was the idea. And the group that I was with, and you you had the same yeah, experience, Anne. Yeah. Um, we did stay until we felt as if we had solved yeah. your game. Right. And we, we kind of made sure that we had solved it twice. Yeah. And it was interesting. You referred to what we had found as a cutscene, yeah. <laughs> which when you're only using like these almost um, rudimentary visual cues yeah. and audio cues, um, it's amazing I, because we sensed that that is what that was. Right. So that was great. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear. Um, yeah, like I said, I think... Um, it's weird to it's almost this like kind of janky game jam project that I'm now showing at SFMOMA for a day and that was kind of embarrassing but fun and inspiring so uh, it was a good experiment I'm glad somebody got something out of it I think I think everyone who yeah I th- it was it's just a very nice experience and it was really nice how people interacted because you were saying you know you don't really get any instructions as to what to do when you're right, in yeah. there but it's finding out with other people and I think that's the interesting so, thing um, I, I should mention the guy did the music um, my friend Alessandra Coronas did the music for Where's My Heart I don't know if you ever played okay, it on yeah. uh, PSP and Playstation 3 he's been a joy to work with so we're still working on this project and um, that was my favourite part debuting his music and our system to the public it was the first time I'd ever showed it to kind of anyone so it was fun another really interesting thing if I may um, is 
I feel like I heard a little bit from a friend of yours. Uh, is his surname Asher? Does that sound right? Uh, a colleague of yours. First, uh, first name Asher. First name Asher, or surname? Sorry. Surname Asher. Am I, don't I getting know. the right guy? Uh, Maybe. Sorry, uh, somebody who uh, knows something about the art for this game that you're working on. Oh. A colleague of yours. Uh, I don't know who it would have been, but yeah, we are doing visual art. Okay. Um, anyway, so he talked a little bit uh, a while after uh, to me and some friends about um, what a little bit about, and I feel like we were able to tell what the actual adventure game is sort of about oh, good. from what we were doing in wow. the tent. Like, that came I hope so. through for us. I hope so. That's, that's really good that to there, hear. There really was kind of a narrative there that everybody together was sort of picking up on, and it was very effective. Jen Frank, game detective. Oh, yeah. I'm thrilled. Oh, yeah. I, I'm thrilled that I've that came I've been watching through. a lot of Sherlock. <laughs> if that came through, I'm thrilled. Yeah. So, um, yeah, music, interactivity, uh, lights... Uh, that's what I'm all about. So. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I know you have to go now, so we won't uh, keep you much longer. Nice to see you, Steve. Yeah, uh, you fist too. bump. Fist bump across the table. Okay. I wish you could see this on the radio. We that just, we just fist bump. That was lovely. Uh, Not exactly a hug, but uh, maybe, maybe the, be- the best we can do. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, but it's okay, because we're subbing someone in, someone who's been incredibly patient <laughs> for the last while. Uh, Matty, do you want to take Doug's seat? We're also still here with John Walker, who is quietly assessing the situation. <laughs> I'm judging you from uh, I mean, a close. He is casting the most beautiful gazes at everybody. Just at everyone. I get that everywhere <laughs> I go. It just doesn't work on radio. You could maybe describe your glances. I could, couldn't I? They're sort of assertive yet alluring. They linger, wow. yeah. but not in an intimidating way, in a way that we, we're sort of hypnotised by them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Matty, you're sat in Doug's seat. How does that feel? Pretty good. Pretty good. We feel nice and established. Thank you so much for your patience while, you, uh, okay. while you're waiting for us to conclude with the other guests. <laughs> uh, can you explain to our listeners who you are and what you're doing at GDC? Well, isn't that like an existential crisis right there? Um, well, um, this is counselling, <laughs> right? Um, I'm actually um, a game critic. I'm involved with um, games media. I talk about culture and games and how they intersect. Um, I'm actually here at GDC because I spoke on a panel um, about the one reason why hashtag. And for people who might not know about that, it was um, this kind of phenomenon on Twitter. Um, that showed the experiences of women in the game industry and some things that we really need to fix. And um, that was a huge thing. And we got invited to come to um, GDC to talk a little bit more about, you know, things that we need to change in the game industry. And what came out of that talk? Oh, gosh, it was amazing. Um, It was a whole bunch of different people from different parts of the... um, Oh, the, the game industry. So um, from Brenda Romero, uh, Robin Hunnicky, these are women who are established in the game industry, in an industry that people are like, women aren't really saying that women aren't there, but actually women have been here and actually founded this industry. Um, and it's kind of just silly, the idea that women don't have a stake or interest in games. So we had a lot of range of emotions. There, there were um, people who were angry and fed up. I think we're all fed up, but definitely some personal experience um and i definitely wanted to talk about the intersection between media and games and how how we approach these things limit 
the types of voices that are talking in these spaces. So um, I wanted to talk about how these implicit rules of our industry are actually making our voices and who's getting paid very homogenous. So um, that was it was really great, very moving, cathartic. And have you been doing anything else whilst you've been here? Oh, I'm definitely cruising around to different panels. Um, this this year actually has a very dynamic uh, advocacy track. There's a lot of ranting. There's a lot of a lot of people with things to say. Um, and actually, I've been. Um, a lot on the games education track as well. Um, I've been looking at the uh, education summit and seeing what's going on in our academy, if you will. And it's interesting because I feel like that's also at a place of change. Uh, we had kind of our forerunners in games education uh, have been there for like let's say a decade, and now there's this feeling of it's time for new people. Uh, not to say get, get for them to get out of the way, but it's time for more voices. It's time for diversity. I mean, diversity is just the word of this of this conference, and that's a wonderful thing. So, John, what have you seen at the conference? Well, I I was there for Matty's talk and that whole uh, session, and it was it was just it was absolutely thrilling to be there. And I feel like I'm always in this kind of strange position <laughs> as I I am the the uh, the white cisgender straight man, you know, in this it kind of like. What, what part do I play and am I just a hypocritical voice and, and it was just so great to be in, in that room and just hear such passion and it was like I, just, I came out of that talk thinking yes we're on the, we're on the cusp of change this is, this is this, this new tidal wave of, of, uh, of this stuff that's happening and, and then I went straight to Anita Sarkeesian's talk um, Equality or GTFO and I was like oh bum we've still got a really long way to go um, but no, that's been, and I found that too this week. It's been um, just the most amazing combination of um, this, this fiery, angry passion from people like Matty, who are just, so, I mean, and so important in this industry. Matty's been a huge influence on me and changed my mind on areas where I've been stupid or prejudiced. And seriously, and 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 I've I've learned from uh, from people like Matty and and so many others. And this week's just been this incredible passion of that combined with. Um, this this wonderful creativity that's just making me feel um, so overwhelmed with how great the kind of the indie scene is. Like yesterday, and even the the mainstream scene. Yesterday's game design workshop with people like um, Will Wright and and Harvey Smith and Jason Raw. Just saying, and I, I, I sitting back in this room, just feeling like I was being uh, washed over with brain. <laughs> it was just <laughs> yeah. absolutely amazing um, experience. And it's been that combination of the two of really angry, righteous passion and brilliant creativity this is great i love gdc it's like never no one ever go to e3 ever again it's awful <laughs> and evil and terrible in every way come to gdc but if you're a big publisher stop polluting that big hall with your horrible stands it's like there my god i'm done now yes. <laughs> did you have a chance to say this to anybody else i'm ranting at everyone i meet i've been i've been the main my main rant this week has been either during the awards the gdc awards which i thought were fun and and tim schaefer was brilliant um and then the mega 64 guys they're so great their sketches are brilliant and then they put up a sketch which was an anti-pre-owned game sketch it was uh kind of like pretending to take the side of gamestop because gamestop are so evil selling pre and and it missed the point it missed the point that this is actually about defending consumer rights it's about the right to if i own something i can sell it and and this this idea and there were whoops and cheers from all these developers in this huge arena and I was so furious how dare you whoop and cheer the destruction of consumer rights and that's been one of my that's one of one of the things I've been ranting anything else you want to get off your channel yeah (laughs) I mean I guess that answers the whole like is the game industry moral 
type thing. And you know, in a sense, um, it's very complicated because there are there are individuals who are very, very you know, they have you know the right ideas. Like we're not painted in one corner. And I think that's kind of the thing that we need to unpack, right? That the game industry is actually one hive mind that is thinking one way. And it's like, actually, no, there's a lot of different voices trying to pull the industry in different directions, all into a direction that we want it. And now it just seems like maybe more people are starting to come onto a new side to pull the, you know, into one direction. And I think that's kind of that. Um, I was actually talking um, to Harry Lee, who um, <clears throat> helped organize the Lost Levels talks uh, yesterday. And I was so excited to see those because they won't be in the vault. Right. Right. Um, there's, there, you had to be there. Mm-hmm. And I told him it was this very, like, 60s, oh, man, you, had, you just had to be there to see it. And it was literally three different rings going at once with people evangelizing mm-hmm. in each ring. And I saw a friend of mine, and we looked at each other across a circle, and I indicated that I was moving to a different circle to listen. And, and then I looked later and saw him standing across uh, that circle. And it was really interesting to have all of these voices as part of this uh, unified event, really. But all um, sounding at once and people uh, moving a little bit more effortlessly between these physical rings than we really have mm-hmm. before. And um, so I think that was almost like a visual representation right. of what this GDC has really been overall with, um, with uh, just evangelical and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, a little bit of fire and brimstone in like the best possible way. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Can I, I, think I don't want to jump in before Steve presses the button. But um, <laughs> the other great visual metaphor I've heard this week was, again, it was Anita Sarkeesian, um, who's Feminist Frequency. Uh, go check out her YouTube videos. Um, and she did a, uh, she had this, this metaphor that is completely just summed up everything perfectly. She talked about the games industry as one of those uh, moving walkways in a travelator at an airport. Um, and this idea that this travelator is pointing toward bad places. It's, it's heading towards sexism, it's heading toward misogyny, it's heading toward racism. The games industry kind of is on this natural progression toward these negative places. And everyone in this industry who is uh, marching down there are a problem, but everyone who's standing still and saying, well, it doesn't seem like it's my thing, it doesn't seem like it's my problem. Everyone who stands still is heading towards the same place. And she said the only way this stuff's going to change is if people turn around and start walking against the flow. And I was like, I was so excited about that. And I, and so since I've got uh, a bit of radio, I just want to say, like, everybody, please start turning around and walking the other way. Please, games journalists, I mean, do stop it, doing this. Do it metaphorically, but don't yeah, do it don't in do real life. Yeah, don't do it in the streets. No, if, yeah. you're actually, <laughs> really if, you're annoying. if you're actually on, an, on one of those moving walkways at an airport, please, can I strongly recommend you hold back, wait till there's a good clear section at the end, and run off as fast as you can, <laughs> because it is the most fun thing you can do at an
One Life Left, broadcasting live from GDC 2013. We're in the final half hour of our final show. That makes me a little bit sad, Steve. I've been having such a lovely time. But now I'm going to stop being sad because we've got a lovely panel. (laughs) It's going so well. We've had such good guests so far and it's only going to get better because we're joined now by Brandon Sheffield. Hello. Hi, Brandon. How's your GDC gone so far? It's been pretty good. I saw a lot of talks. Uh... I, I found that the ones that I was trying to go to that were supposed to inform me of things weren't always up to expectations, but the ones that were meant to inspire definitely uh, met or exceeded. That's what we're finding. Well, we're actually finding generally the whole conference is an inspiration to people, because not just because of the things that people are seeing, but because of the people they're meeting and the... Uh, the rambling stories that people are telling at parties late at night and on that subject we're also joined by uh, Mayor Shepard who I um, talked to about Britney and Taylor Swift and have to apologise for sorry about that no it was a good story (laughs) you are kind to say that also Reagan Burns and together they are Metanet Software am I saying that right or is that Metanet Metanet Meta Meta I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry for everything that has happened and everything that's about to happen. No problem, Steve. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Zing. Guys, can you tell us uh, what you're doing at GDC? What brings you here? Uh, Our love of hangovers. Well, that is, that's a perk, I think. But No, we, I mean, we come every year. Um, or we have since 2005, anyway. But it's just great. There are lots of amazing talks. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone that we want to talk to is here, basically. So. Yeah. Can you explain to our listeners what it is uh, you guys do? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we make there's a game called N, and a lot of failed prototypes. That's about it. You know, they did they did just announce that they're making N plus plus. Really? Another final, plus. Another final plus. version. Final N. N. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So. We're shutting it down. Yep. We're going. We're, we're, yeah. Hopefully we're going to go out with a bang, but uh, yeah, but a good kind of bang, not like um, not like a crash and burn kind of Not bang, a murder. Not that, yeah. I, I think you uh, you talked, didn't you, yesterday about finishing games and how hard it is to, 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 to actually put a full stop on the end of that sentence, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did um, a micro talk yesterday and it was about, yeah, just the, the psychological battle that we've been kind of... Um, working through um, over the course of working on N and that's part of why we're doing N++ to do that right so that we can close it close that chapter and then move on and do something else that's cool and so yeah but it's tough do you have any ideas of what you want to go on to next is anything here that you've seen or heard inspired you oh there's so much I mean all of the games in the IGF are amazing of course and but it's just I mean yeah we're totally cloning Starsea Pilgrim that's our, that's our next game <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a games attorney on earlier talking about cloning and essentially don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was his that was his advice. But what if you're in China? Yeah, it's fine. GDC 2013. Have you noticed any themes? Uh, indie games are a huge thing now. Now it's getting scary. What it's is out of control. It's out of control. We need to shut them down. Yeah. I, I guess the, the thing that we've noticed from talking to people, and I think that other people have, have said to us, is that there kind of isn't a line anymore between indie games and AAA. It's a sliding scale all the way up um, from you know the smallest pet project from someone working in their bedroom right up to the biggest AAA. And the good thing is that they can all make money now. 
Yeah, if you looked at the Choice Awards, uh, there were definitely, you know, like the the first few Choice Awards that were given out were given to things that we would normally think of as indie games, like you know, Spelunky and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. It was uh, it's kind of nice, and it was also strange to hear sort of the reverse of GDC many years ago where like now the the indie games are getting raucous applause and the the you know like Mass Effect 3s are getting a polite <laughs> uh, you know and it, there's just not the enthusiasm for that on the part of developers anymore i think that you know consumers still are totally super focused on AAA stuff to some extent but but developers get a lot more excited by new things and new ideas and that's what seems to make them happy even if they are working in the AAA space so I think that's that's why we're seeing that kind of thing I think for me it seems like here yes that you know indie games are expanding and everyone is really embracing that but you do also have to think about the consumers and you know there's the community here is embracing it but do you think that it is going to be embraced more widely or do you think that people will just keep focusing on the AAA games that they're used to and that they enjoy really well it's it's definitely slowly happening i mean minecraft is a an indie game after all i I hate to use that as the example because that's what we use for everything now it's like something is different minecraft (laughs) but uh i mean it's you know spelunky n plus was one of the first big kind of xbla hits that's right uh so you know it, it just people were hungry for something different and then when it came along they were like heck yeah let's get it so <laughs> well, I think I think that'll expand more because of um, right distribution methods um, as a result publishers are able uh, to take bigger risks than they would have been able to which means that do you think developers then are able to take larger risks too and have greater gains and a feedback loop there in the last five years? Well, it's definitely helpful. I mean, we could never have afforded retail games, so digital distribution is great for that, obviously. But um, for us, like, it's possible to take risks because we're such a small team and our costs are super low, so we don't actually need a game to sell a ton. It's better for us if it's interesting and, like, experimental and fun. Yeah, I think it's sort of the opposite, because, like... Where were all these people, like, eight years ago, right? That's when it was risky. Right. Now it's, like, been established. You can make money <laughs> making a downloadable game. That's why the publishers are like, swarm, swarm. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, like, it's awesome to see all kinds of different stuff. And definitely, like, we have friends who, like, just play, like, a, you know, Oblivion and Arkham Asylum and, like, the like mainstream games that are, like, they're, in, they're into Spelunky and they're into like stuff so that like it definitely is cool and getting out there but it does seem less risky there's still a lot of risk for indies though you know that you we we tend to focus on the success stories a lot but for every success there are probably about a hundred more people that put their game out five people play it and they're like well now i have no money i'm (laughs) i'm going back to work at mcdonald's and that's a sadness and Hopefully those people will keep trying, but there are definitely a lot of... There's a lot of failure involved in risk, of course, and that's why it's risk. I think there is something in Anne's question, uh, though, about 
one of the things that John Walker said when uh, when he was on the show a second ago was that it is uh, it was so inspirational the first talk he saw which was uh, you know about uh, feminism and diversity and everyone in the room was on the same page and going yeah this is this is this problem is being fixed and then the next talk he went to was uh, Anita Sarkeesian who is very much more an outward focusing thing going everything is screwed and because she's talking to a complete her experiences with a completely different audience and I wonder whether there is part of that about GDC that we're all surrounded by ourselves and we're all excited about this new wave of interesting small games and we all think this is it this is everything changing but actually when you go out into the wider world I don't know how many of my friends outside of my gaming friends know what FTL is yeah but there's also <clears throat> sorry there's also the uh, the idea that what starts here mm-hmm. should branch out because Absolutely. of course we are the developers right and mm-hmm. and we have the ability to change this so if if we can get people excited here mm-hmm. they can try to make change in their teams and they can try to push that out into the world and i feel like once once people know that there are more diverse experiences available and more kinds of players that they can play as and things they will be happy uh to to have that happen but you know, if if they don't if they don't see it as an option, then uh, mm-hmm. then it's 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 never going to happen. So it definitely has to start here. Of course, it's true that you know that we are a microcosm, and 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 not everybody consumers won't feel the same way as us mm-hmm. right away. But we can make them. <laughs> yeah, like the the energy has to start somewhere. So there exactly. is there is a bit of a like I don't know echo chamber, but if you build the echoes up loud enough then you can release them <laughs> yeah 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 um, totally have you guys been uh, inspired by anything specific you've seen at GDC over the last week uh, I saw uh, some interesting charts for character creation okay uh, I was trying to get some ideas for how to write different kinds of characters with greater ease and s- someone was showing kind of a, a spectrum between introvert and extrovert and kind of um, serious versus playful uh, and and how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mapped perfectly into the into the four squares on this grid that was created. And I was like, all right, I can understand that. That is actually something that I can completely visualize and internalize. And that so that was actually pretty great for me. Um, and then another thing is it wasn't so specifically inspirational. It was just cool. Is that last night I was talking to Yu Suzuki, who uh, made Outrun, and I'm making a game that sort of apes Outrun to some extent. And I was telling him how cloning Brandon really on this show. No, I was telling him how it was really hard to get the camera right, and he's like, "Hmm, yeah, well, good luck." <laughs> I'm like, "Great, thanks, thanks, buddy. Thanks for the thanks for your eternal ancient wisdom uh, passed down through the ages of good luck." Uh, Andy Hull uh, did a bit about like inspiration and game design and stuff that I thought was really cool. Like he was like talking about how he came from physical games and like wooden blocks and toys and how that how that can sort of carry over into games in interesting ways, which I thought was pretty like that's a pretty different and interesting angle. And especially like that's something that I think not enough people care about tactile and like like games that 
are like wooden blocks in that there's they're just a joy to use. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing with them. It's mm-hmm. a pleasant, fun, engaging kind of experience. I mean, that's what we we had Doug Wilson on the show uh, about half an hour ago, and he was he's obviously all about that uh, with Johann Sebastian Jass and the installation that. Anne and Jen got lost in. Emotionally, you didn't get really lost in it. I mean, it's no, a small it was quite tent. It's a small tent. It'd be hard yeah. to get lost in there. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you. But, it, well, it, you know, um, I, I totally agree. In different types of interfaces, I mean, we saw other interfaces there. The, uh, the interface that was a wooden block with sort of 16 or 17 uh, potentiometers. Yeah. yeah. Let's go for that. Uh, that controlled the thing on screen. I think we often, as game developers, we forget that the gamepad is a weird device. It's an strange alien thing that if you place it in the hands of uh, a person who doesn't play games, they don't know what to do, they don't know what to touch, and for us it's completely natural. Uh, and with uh, tablets, that's going away a little bit because those things are more universal. But yeah, I, I love coming up with different ways to interact with games, e.g. hugging. Have you, right. have you all discussed the, the thing that Jason Rohr was talking about? Have you all gotten into that at you, all? It, it was uh, mentioned on the show yesterday, and it blew our mind. Do you know where this thing is buried? I do not know. Where, I know it's in the desert in Nevada, but I do not know where in the desert. Would, right, you, tell us, would you tell us if you knew? I would not, because part of it is that <laughs> it's, it's a game to be found in 2,000 years or whatever. So that's, uh, But yeah, that, that was inspiring. Yeah. It was an amazing story. Life Left, broadcasting from GDC. Maybe that's the last time I'll say that this year. How, how upsetting is he? Although uh, when I said I was upset earlier, that uh, was met with a stern look. So I'm not upset. Teddy, you could be the final guest of this year's, uh, this year's set of programmes. How does that make you feel? Uh, I feel no pressure at all. None at all. None at all. Please, please, please introduce yourself to I'll our in- listeners. I'll introduce the most forefront self. I'm Teddy Diefenbach. I'm a game designer. Uh, I have a company called Rad Dragon in LA. Is this the first time we've talked to you on One Life Left? It is. So that must be quite exciting for you. It is. I remember you mentioned Shove Pro once, and it came up in my email, and so I listened to the whole thing. I said, when are they going to listen? mention it? So this is the first yeah. time I get to... We do like shoving. Actually, we, were, we felt that that cloned our idea. It did. Which, you know... You stole our idea, Teddy, and now we've got at least one lawyer, possibly three. (laughs) Maybe even four now. And that's why we brought you here today. 
to talk about that and to talk about a potential settlement. That sounds wonderful. I have zero lawyers. Then this is going to be easy. So, uh, what's Rad Dragon up to at the moment? We're working on a game called The Moonlighters, which is much different than Shove Pro. It's a heist adventure game for the PC, and it's about uh, entertainers in the 1950s who are dealing with becoming obsolete as rock and roll comes in and changes the culture and puts them all out of work. Do you enjoy putting people out of work? No. No, I'm terribly afraid of becoming obsolete, and so I wanted to make a game about that. Uh, because an entire culture of, of singers and performers from the, the golden era of the 40s and 50s in America uh, just lost the, the spotlight when, when teen culture came around and rock and roll, and, and it was a really interesting period for me. I mean, I wasn't there. But you, <laughs> did you sort of pick that because you enjoy that aesthetic and you enjoy uh, that kind of music, or just because you, want to, you wanted to explore that theme? Yeah, that's interesting. I started because I, I fell in love with the music when I was younger, and then I started reading biographies of people like Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and reading their stories and watching material of them from that time, and then later in the 70s and seeing the contrast and seeing how they didn't fit anymore and feeling yeah. kind of sad about that. I don't want anybody to feel sad here, though. No. Well, it's also a, a happy... It's a heist game, so there's a lot of fun <laughs> also. I guess heist can be fun, can't they? How do you make a heist fun? Uh, well, we... For us, we make a heist fun by changing it up a lot. We have, like, 15 of them in the whole thing we have planned, and we didn't want to do, like, 15 heists of casinos, so we just kind of fake it and cheat. So we only really do one heist, and then the rest oh. are things like ruining a rock and roll concert or escaping from somewhere you know you can you can do a lot with the mechanics of a heist that aren't a typical rob a bank rob a casino i remember you told me an interesting anecdote but i can't quite place the context it was something about attempting to make a game that kind of uh, not made light of kind of a dated misogyny but definitely um um, kind of went a distance in underscoring that this was not really a golden age, so to speak, at all. Am yeah. I am I misremembering, or what were you telling so, me about? It was a few days ago. Yeah, I started the Moonlighters as my master's thesis at USC, and I was that's being right. mentored at the time by Rich Lamarchand. Oh yeah, that's right. Would meet with me every week and talk to me about it. And when I was introducing him to the characters that I was writing, he pointed out that it was very male heavy, like the the six characters I had. And I, I was trying to sort of balance what I felt like I was observing of, of the sort of the distribution of sex at the time and what might be better for players to have a more balanced cast. And so I made a paper prototype of the game in which I just wanted to play... I decided to play up uh, sexism and use it as a mechanic to see whether I could put players in a position, sort of like how people are feeling like... Um, uh, well, like Sweatshop does, right? Mm-hmm. To... to um, put players in a position where they're doing something that maybe they're not comfortable with and to understand the the problems there so yeah i made a card game in which you were gambling and and you had to it was very um the mechanic was very much around getting luck out of out of women around you and it was very bizarre anyway it was supposed to be a test and my my professor came back the next day and told me that he'd been up all night 
arguing with his wife about right. uh, gender issues and whether this was a good piece or a dangerous piece. And right, so. and I, I was so in love with that story because uh, I felt like that meant you had obviously accomplished something to uh, become the source of this conversation about whether the piece is good at all. And so yeah. that's fantastic. That's a fantastic story. I was very excited. I was excited that I, I didn't meet his wife for a couple weeks, so there was time for it to, <laughs> to come down, I think. To cool off. Yes. I like that. Uh, but yeah, it is, a, it is a strange thing to make a game set in a time where there's certain elements that I want to be very true to, and somewhere, you know, do I represent them, or do I, do I sort of just remove them because I don't have time to deal with all of them. Right. You know? Right. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Right. How much do you self-edit or, or revise a little bit? And I think we need to be careful to not right, glorify that era too much, maybe. Especially in a game like ours where we want to still be kind of fun and punchy. You know, there's only right. so many words you can put in to a game before it starts to get a little clunky. And so you can't tackle every issue. And I don't sure. want to present uh, a certain element of that culture and then not explain sort of the pros and cons of the balancing agents involved. Teddy, I was, I was thinking about something this morning, just dwelling, hmm. dwelling, on a, on a, dwelling on a question. Is this the greatest time there has ever been and ever will be to be a video game creator? <sighs> wow. Um, I think it's one of the most, it's certainly one of the most flexible times. I can only see like five to fifteen years into the future, depending mm-hmm. on how tired I am. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, what is very exciting about it is the flexibility. Um, the, the tools are getting better and better. I'm, I'm planning on being jealous of my children already. I'm assuming they're all going to become game designers because I'm going to be a very heavy-handed parent. <laughs> um, but I, I would imagine the tools will get better. So, in a, from a technical point of view, I'm jealous of the future. But it is a very interesting crossroads. I, I mean, I guess uh, the reason I say that is yeah. it seems that right now, one of the themes across all of the shows we've done here is the, the rise of the indie game. And also, slowly, the rise in acceptance of an audience to play things that are different. But it also strikes me that there are so many things at this point in history left to be discovered. So game creators can be pioneers right now. They can really feel like they're exploring different directions. And also stand a chance of other people being interested in those things. Yeah, we can take credit for things that many people will come up with in the future also, but it's like the frontier. <laughs> it's like you stick your flag in it. Exactly. Early on. No, that's a really great point, and I think that I've been talking to a lot of people this week about um, breaking, you know, breaking the mold and changing things, and it's inevitable that new molds will form over time, but since we're so fresh in terms of breaking out of the, uh, like a model that's been around for a long time, there is a lot of sort of stakes to put into the sand and, and establish, hopefully in a responsible way where we end up uh, once things settle into, an, I don't know, a new status quo. Mm, the responsible thing is interesting because one of the points Dan Cook made uh, yesterday, this time yesterday on show four, was that we're just going to do things and we don't know how they're going to affect humans. We, and, and there is going to be no boundary. People are just going to keep creating interactive things. And that's not like writing a, you know, writing a terrifying horror story or, you know, which... Is consumed passively. Here, you play the character, you play the role, and that is potentially dangerous. I think that's why the the, the reaction against the term gamification was so strong when it became like the buzzword last year, right? Everyone, mm-hmm. because it not only was it feeling a little misused in the way that people were trying to manipulate their their customers or whatever they were doing, but also because it was it was holding a mirror up to us and reminding us how much influence we can have on people's behavior. Mm. Ooh. 
so yeah, a little scary, but yeah. um, it was a good it was a good step to have, I think. What's the buzzword of this conference? Free to play. Really? I think so. I remember a few years ago at GDC, free to play was big when some of the MMOs like Maple Story had just come around, and that was doing gangbusters. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, I, I know at least from publisher standpoints, there's a lot of free to play discussion. Uh, because of probably because of iOS mm-hmm. and seeing if that'll expand into console games and PC games. I'd like the word of the show to be uh, gangbusters. Yeah, <laughs> it's an excellent word. Very, very, very good choice. I like um, personal responsibility, but that's two words. So person bons- personansibility. Per- wow, Ooh. <laughs> it's I Friday. Like that portmanteau. That's very good. You fixed. You fixed the problem. You've been a success, Jen Frank. Great. Well done. Uh, okay, so we are coming to the end of the show. Matt Bock is sitting behind me. It would be uh, remiss of me not to introduce him to the listeners again. Why don't you come around here, Matt? And... I'm trying to sabotage this podcast. <laughs> How are you feeling, Matt? I'm pretty good. Did you have a nice time last night? I did. What did you get up to? I, was, I hung out with you. It was, it, was, it was quite nice. We went to the Nordic Games party. Uh, we, we drank a number of cocktails... We avoided mimes. We avoided so many mimes. They were everywhere. Yeah, it, we invented a game called Mimecraft. <laughs> we really, really did. W- were you creating mimes, or were you were they chasing after you after dark? Was that you were building mimes? Yeah. And also, I, I can't think of a better way to close One Life Left versus Karma Sutra than to say hello to Chris Graft, who's been our co-host and confidant. I can't believe it's pretty much over with. It's, it's, this is literally the last two minutes of the whole series of shows. I feel, I feel like I'm just getting started. <laughs> I'm ready oh, to keep on really? going, yeah. <laughs> Chris, tell us about your night last night. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask other people to report on that. <laughs> <laughs> something happened and then you had to go to bed. Yeah, something made me sleepy. I think that is a common theme to the last few uh, evenings as well, but we've had the greatest time. Like, genuinely had a brilliant time at this year's GDC met so many wonderful people had so many excellent guests on the show as well uh, and it's been a triumph I think it's been a triumph we haven't achieved many of our goals we well, have we, we've achieved right. other goals Steve yeah that's true what what have we achieved we've we've uh, essentially verbally prototyped a game based on hugging perfect we've had people agree to interview us as long as they don't have to give us a job at the end of it yeah mm. Um, we did get someone to say they would give us some hair, but we politely declined. <laughs> uh, we haven't pushed anyone over, which is probably which for the best. Which is a good thing. No, I think that that's a positive, Steve. It, it's almost like we're growing up. Isn't it? We're learning. It? Instead of pushing, we're hugging. But it's been good. It's been good. It's been a good GDC. Have you had a good GDC, Chris? Oh, it's just been... Lo- <clears throat> excuse me. It's been lovely. You can tell by the level of my how my voice sounds. It's just been great. Yeah, it really has, though. Jen, have you enjoyed yourself? Yes, thank you. And it's all thanks to you and Anne. Wow. We made GDC. <laughs> yeah, for me. You're welcome, guys. But I guess that's it. Well, we've had a lovely time. We hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, our radio show. We'll be back with a proper series very, very, very soon. Um, but until then, we've been One Life Left. We'll and we'll see, see you, you next year. Thank you.